Uh, all right, Mandalorian fans, it's time for episode five, The Gunslinger, chapter five, excuse me. And the recap has is heavy on the Cargus, uh, Reef Cargus, or whatever his proper name is, Guild Code, previously on the Mandalorian, uh, Mando, they all dislike you strongly, Sorgan, uh, no population, uh, and then, you know, but Mando says, no life for a kid. And then his robotic, yes, yes. And then the uh, opening of the show or the intro uh, with the Lucas for, for, for Lucasfilm and the uh, Star Wars. And then we have a black screen with some sound effects, which sound like lasers to me. And we get what I believe is our first space battle. It's a brief one, uh, but it is... Uh, uh, you, you see, this so this is technically a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So remember that because uh, the, the, what happens in the space battle, like two spaceships battling, you know, like a drag racing, I mean. And there's a dude in a blackbird-like ship, and he's got a, he kind of does look like a Top Gun pilot. He doesn't have a full, I mean, I guess he should have a climate-controlled ship anyway. Yeah, but he has, he does, yeah, he looks like a Top Gun pilot. He does a lot of spinning. One of the engines on the Mandalorian ship goes out uh, at one thirty. If you're, if you're looking to pause, you know, if you're looking to pause this episode a few times or one fifty three, uh, I don't have the ability, you know, and I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm on embargo still. No reading of any Mandalorian stuff, uh, period. I mean, I did see accidentally a couple, uh, headlines but you know i said that's clickbait but you know even if it wasn't it was baiting me to click it but so baby oso is in a um a question mark i said is that a, a suitcase is it a like what is baby does is baby oso wearing baby oso's belt uh but whatever baby oso sitting in it has four buttons what the yellow one or the orange one is lit uh and it's not in Roy G. Biv order because it goes red. Let me see my notes here. Red, green, blue, and then the yellow one is lit. Uh, so he's in something. He does. He is holding on, but the ship is, you know, going around. And they say, well, do you need it? I guess you don't need it. Like, you just need something to hold, keep you in your seat. Uh, I don't know. Uh, then we see like the kind of old school Star Wars, uh, readouts, uh, computer readouts, uh, and, uh, I think this was interesting. Oh, mo- I did ask about momentum in space and there's a Top Gun moment, uh, which is funny because Mandalorian doesn't say anything, but if Tom Cruise was there, he'd say, that's my move. Uh, uh, cause he hits the brakes, they fly right by when the Mandalorian says, that's my line. Cause, um, the other pilot stole his line. Then the ship is, uh, uh, like the engines are shut down. It's drifting in space as the theme music, uh, the opening and the opening placard go up. Uh, the gunslinger, uh, Mandalorian kind of resets the ship. I wasn't sure he does a lot of button pressing and, uh, he says, you know, we're losing, he's pressing buttons at first. He says, we're losing fuel. Then he does a reset or goes to backup power. I don't know which one. Uh, and then I thought about it that I couldn't, I, like, I guess it could never fly in space because uh, 
I mean, I guess it could, well, I, could, I couldn't be a cadet or anything because I don't do well with authority. So I couldn't be a member of, like, Starfleet or whatever. Even the Rebel Alliance, I'd say, you got too many rules, so boy. I'd say, so this is an alliance. Do you have, like, a stu- like do I have to make my bed? And they see us require, I say, okay, well, nice knowing you. I guess it could be, like, uh, and then for this, like, being independent, I couldn't, um, I wouldn't be able to figure all that out. I mean, I can reset stuff, but I wouldn't, like, it looks like you actually have to have some knowledge. Uh, then he calls in, he gets the ship restarted. He, uh, he calls in to, uh, uh, Moss Isley Tower. They say land at 3-5, uh, landing strip, uh, Mandalorian lands his ship, uh, puts baby Oso away. Which, I mean, this one, you say, dude, like, what, like, come on, man. Like, Mandalorian? Uh, you're just going to put the baby in it, like, put baby, like, haven't you learned your lesson yet? And there's some gas station droids. So he puts Oso, like, Oso is asleep, though. And he puts him in, like, one of those things, like, uh, one of those things, I mean, Oso's a little kid, and there was plenty, I mean, it was a perfectly good environment uh, uh, for the time being, but not to get off the ship. Uh, but again, I mean, the Mandalorian is in a tough spot because he's got to keep it all secret. But he gets off, we see gas station droids, he says no droids, and then we hear a hey, hey. And we said, I I mean, I said, holy Sedaris, like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. At first, I actually didn't say holy Sedaris. It took me a few minutes. I just said, like, whoever this is they casted is absolutely amazing. Then I realized who it was. Uh, Amy Sedaris. Uh, So she's delightful in this episode. I mean, I don't even know how, what else to say other than, uh, Probably beyond delightful, maybe. Uh, so, hey, hey, holy Sedaris, strangers with candy, so good. Uh, he, he has five hundred credits. He could give her. She goes, oh, that's good for like uh, the 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 you know landing pad. And she goes, what do you think? She asks the droids. Uh, she spent too much time with these droids. They think she'd be the first to admit it. And he says, I'll get your money. And she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No droids. Yeah. And then as he walks off, she goes, oh, you're, you're a real womp rat. Uh, then there's great continuity because Mando exits Hangar 3-5. He heads into town. There's ominous music. Uh, there's a pan up. Uh, and we see uh, the, some stuff from this teaser trailer. Uh, then we hear, then, oh, uh uh, I, I guess, uh, I don't know what the character's name is, but Amy Sedaris is playing poker with the droids. And then there's noises from the ship. She goes, uh, stay in there or something. And we see baby Oso comes out of the ship. Uh, and she goes, now, now. And she tells the droid, how do I know what it is? Uh, she goes, are you hungry? And then she goes, here's the plan. I'll look after you, and then I'll charge, uh, you know, that Mandalorian for babysitting. A ton of dough and tip. Uh, she calls him Bright Eyes, which I liked a lot. Uh, 
So very, very nice scene. And also, I think, like, uh, I, don't, I mean, I, they couldn't have known what the audience reaction was going to be to this uh, show or this season or Baby Oso. Uh, but she definitely represents the audience. I mean, I feel like the, the overall re- reaction to Baby Oso in some sense and everybody's dream to snuggle to babysit Baby Oso. So, yeah, she says, oh, bright eyes. Uh, then we switch to Mando going through town. It's a mess. Uh, and, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, like, the one headline I said said something, something fan service. Uh, and I said, I wish I didn't read that. But uh, I, I don't even, like, it, it, there's a lot of familiar locations and, and stuff. Uh, so, I mean, you say, oh, cool. This guy kind of recognized this or I kind of recognize that. Looks like they use propane at uh, the cantina. So he goes into the cantina, I think the original one. He says, hey, droid. And the droid goes, uh, hey, hey is for horses. Uh, and he says, hey, ho- hey, droid. And he goes, hey, is for horses. Like, he goes, I'm not a hey, droid. You know, my father figure was a hey, droid. Uh, I'm a barkeep droid. If you want a hey, droid, go to the stables. And he says, what in the heck? Uh, and then he goes, by, he goes, I need work. And the dude goes, Guild cannot operate on uh, Tatooine. And he goes, I'm not in the Guild. He goes, it does not improve your situation. And then we see a stranger uh, holding a coin. Uh, and at first he's, you know, bathed in kind of shadow. He's kicking his feet up uh, like Han Solo asks uh, and he says, think again, Tin Can. And he goes, you're looking for work? Have a seat, my friend. And uh, this is at 843. And I honestly didn't know this, but I did. My first reaction when he was based in shadow was a uh, holy cannavale. Uh, uh, probably not pronouncing that, but I thought it was Bobby Cannavale, uh, like uh, who's um, like kind of uh, done a little bit of everything in the past uh, 15 to 20 years. And it's pretty much always a bright spot or an interesting spot, you know, an interesting character or just a bright spot. And, you know, most people, I mean, I think his brightest moment was in the station agent. Uh, but so, I mean, just as far as, I mean, just as far as like bright human brightness. Uh, uh, so then he like, uh, then Mandalorian goes over and it's not Bobby Cannavale. It may be his son. I mean, no, I'm not positive it's son. I'm just playing, like, I looked it up. But his name's Toro Callahan. Toro, Toro Callahan. And he goes, I picked up a bounty puck mid-rim, man. Fennec Shand, uh, you're going to go get her out by, beyond the Dune Sea. And the Mandalorian says, well, good luck with that. I'll see you later. Because Fennec Shand, because uh, he, he thinks it's going to be easy. And the Mandalorian says, it ain't going to be easy. And he goes, well, I thought you needed work. He goes, uh, well, how long have you been with the guild? He goes, uh, don't worry about it. He goes, well, you, you know, Fennec Shan's, you know, total, you know, she, she's she's tougher than tough and not possible. And then he goes to leave. And I don't know if he feels bad for the kid because the kid says, so listen, man, this is my first job. And uh, you could keep all the money. Maybe it's just that he can keep all the money. He goes, but I need this job to get into the guild. He says, I can't do it alone. 
And the Mandalorian says, all right, meet me at Hangar 3-5 in a half hour with two speeder bikes and give me a tracking fob. Uh, but obviously there's no trust there because, uh, so this brings up two questions. I mean, one of which I think is like a, a little bit of fan fiction. One is like, one, how much they get paid that this kid could go get two speeder bikes and still get a return on, you know, that it makes sense. I mean, the other thing is that this kid is like a, a Bountafarian or whatever. Trust a Bountafarian, like trust a Farian was someone that toured with bands if but had a trust fund. That was a term. And this kid does seem like a, a trust a Bountafarian uh, because uh, everything he's got is new. And it just seemed like he had money to spend. Uh, so it'd be interesting. I mean, his backstory would be mildly interesting. But the Mandalorian goes back to a ship, no baby Oso. So he kind of flips. Uh, oh, there was also a walking, one of those two-legged droids that always looks lost. Uh, he goes, oh, no, I left my Oso alone again. Hey. And then uh, um, Amy Sedaris says, you, you woke it up, dude. And he goes, well, she goes, not so fast. You got an awful lot to learn about raising a young one. And then there's a couple of looks exchanged. Then she goes, anyway, almost got your ship, you know, working on the ship without droids. Uh, you got any money? Mandalorian grabs a backpack of all things, uh, like kind of an old school one. Uh, like, a, what do you call that? Uh What's the material called? Canvas, a tan canvas one. And he goes, then, but then, of course, he says, thank you. Then he goes out to the speeder bikes, uh, and uh, the the dude goes, not too shabby, huh, Mando? Mando, like, tests out the he Mando was getting a chopper speeder bike, so a chopper bike, a chopper speeder. Uh, so Mando tests out the bike. Uh, he goes, what'd you expect? This is in Corellia. And he goes, ma'am, uh, the, uh, the, the, the kid, uh, oh boy, I got to pause it to tell you that 1238, uh, is like a place to pause. Uh, there's just this beautiful 1234, this music starts and then there's these great desert shots. There's an overhead shot now and later that are just simple shots, but I really thought they were just breathtaking in their simpleness. Uh, I don't know. And just the lines and stuff, uh. Then they stop, and the Mandalorian says, uh, oh, heads up. Uh, he goes, what is it? He goes, Tusken Raiders. And he goes, the, then they go back and forth. The Mandalorian goes, these are the locals. Uh, and he goes, well, I'm not worried about it. And he goes, well, why don't you tell them yourself? So then the Tusken Raiders are there. Mando says, relax. He kind of talks to them. They communicate by, like, uh, like sign language. So they go back and forth. He goes, yeah, I'm working on getting us a uh, passage across the, their land. Uh, and he exchanges the kid's binoculars. Uh, he goes, they were brand new yesterday. And the Mandalorian goes, they were. And then we have another nice shot. That's, like I said, an overhead shot of them on bikes in the sand and the, and the dunes going downhill. Uh, then they stop again. The Mandalorian says, geez, get down, man. He goes, what? Uh, he goes, tell me what you see. He goes, do back. And he goes, yeah, let's go down there and check it out. Uh, not sure if it's Fennec Shand or somebody else. It's another bounty hunter and ends up. Then uh, they talk about kind of scavenging that. Uh, and then uh, 
you realize that Fennec Shan's a distance off, and she's got like this spitball thing with lasers. So she starts hitting them with spitballs, uh, you know, with the Mandalorian's armor. He says that's not cool, like because she has like them, like like uh, don't do this, anybody that's listening. But uh, there's spitballs that dipped in uh, food dye or some kind of dye. He says this is messing my look up. Uh, so he goes, good thing you hit my best car, because, you know, he goes, it could look, uh, and the kid goes, I don't even wear any best car. And Mandalorian goes, nope. He goes, we'll have to wait till dark. I'm going to rest. Take, you take first watch. Uh, then we see Fennec Shand uh, watching uh, the kid. He, he goes, he goes, it's time to ride, Mando. And Mandalorian is faking being asleep. He goes, uh, sleep on the job, old man. And he kind of tries to be like Han Solo, smooth. Uh, and Mandalorian goes, are you done? And then they learn that, or we learn that Fennec Shand has like a thermal scope. So they use these flares to try to get it. We got a chance. Uh, and uh, during that, Mandalorian's bike gets hit by a, well, you wouldn't think this, but a chopper is very vulnerable to spitballs. Uh, so Mandalorian loses his bike. Uh, they make a bunch of quick moves, uh, and then there's a dance-off between the kid and Fennec Shand, or however you spell it, uh, and uh, he's not very good. He says, ow, and then the Mandalorian shows up, so he goes, great distraction with your dancing, and he goes, uh, we're taking you in, Fennec. Find your blaster, kid, and she goes, oh, a Mandalorian. Been a long time since I've ever seen one of you. Anybody you hear about what's going down on Navarro? Uh, sounds like that Mandalorian got off easy. And then the kid says, you're my ticket into the guild, so quit talking. And then they go back down and they realize they can't get across the desert where they only have one bike. Uh, so Mandalorian has to go get the do back because they, they don't, there's a little bit of lack of trust still. Uh, so the kid says, oh, I'll watch her. And he sits on his bike. And he kind of watches Fennec Shan. The dawn comes, uh, and uh, she wakes up and kind of groans. Uh, she goes, it's been a while. Suns are coming up. Uh, and she goes, if you could just give me a ride to Moss Espa. So remember, there's Moss Eisley. I can't remember Moss Espa, too. I don't you know. Uh, and she goes, it could pay you double. He goes, I don't care. Uh she goes, well, it seems like you're not the boss. He goes, oh, I'm only because I let him be the boss. Uh, I just want to get into the guild. I don't care about the money. And she goes, you already have something uh, uh, they care about more than money. Uh, and I, oh, this is when I put the whole Tristafarian thing in because he is very well dressed and new clothes and everything. I mean, it might not be a trust. He might have got, like, whatever, 30,000 credits. They say, well, you're going to go to school? Like, this is how much money we have set aside for you. Like, kind of like a prodigal, prodigal child. I mean, maybe in this world his dad is, like, a Bobby Cannavale of, uh, I don't know, Corellia or something. This is a beloved, uh, multi-talented uh, performer. And he says, Pop, I, I want to be a, you know, I'm, you know, I'm into, I got to go out on my own. And the father says, well, you're a bit of a, um, adult, no offense, kid, uh, but I can't, you know, I can't stop you. 
So let's see, Mandalorian. Uh, she goes, Jeez, you could get that armor, they, you know, and the Mandalorian. They'd welcome you with open arms. It's legendary. And he says, uh, I don't know. And she goes, well, they said that the Mandalorian had a child with him. And the kid goes, huh? And uh, she goes, fear not, I can help you. Uh, you know, make a deal for yourself. Uh, and then they go kind of uh, face to face. And the kid goes, that was some good advice. Who wouldn't want to be a legend? Uh, thanks for the tip. And then he spitballs Fennec Shand. Uh, then the next thing we see is Mando on a do-back. Uh, he gets out there some Western music. He finds Shan, uh, like, uh, spitballed. She's, you know, she's been spitballed, to- totally spitballed. So he goes back to town. You know, it takes a while. They skip that part, obviously. It's nighttime. Mando returns. There's good music. Uh, doors open to 3-5. And the speeder bike sparked there. Everything's empty. The droids are hiding. And uh, Toro says, it took you long enough. Uh, I'm calling the shots now, huh, Mando? And he goes, raise him. And then he has uh, um, uh, Amy Sedaris, she goes, cuff him. Uh, You're a guild traitor. Uh, But the Mandalorian has another flare up his sleeve. Literally, he's got got a flare up my sleeve. he goes, this is going to make me legendary, but it, it doesn't make him legendary. It ends up that he is adult because Mando out maneuvers him, spitballs him uh, right on his, he goes, these are my fancy clothes, my fancy bounty hunter clothes. But Amy Sedaris is more concerned with ba- where baby Oso is. She goes, got to get it. Where is it? Uh, and uh, Baby Oso's hiding behind some baskets. She goes, there you are. Are you hiding from us? And then she goes, look at you. Oh, it's so loud for your big big little ears. And then the um, the Mandalorian must have grabbed, like I think he grabs, like a, I guess I'll watch it here, but uh, he uh, grabs something out of the kid's pockets, which I couldn't tell if they were shells or... um. Uh, funds, uh, and he uses that to pay off Amy Sedaris, because uh, she goes, take it, take it, you didn't get paid. Uh, and then he goes, well, will this cover me? And she goes, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I couldn't tell if it was like, oh, yeah, because uh, just sometimes things are a little dark, uh, or I just don't know what I'm looking at. I'm going to try to watch it again, but it's pretty light in where I'm watching this, too, you know, so I can attempt to read my handwriting. Yeah, but then she go. Then there's like the outro music. She tells the droids to bring uh, the kid, to, spitball kid, to Beggars Canyon. Then there's the out music uh, as the Mandalorian ship takes off. Uh, but then we start to hear that famous space static sound and spurs. And then we hear like who? But I'm gonna wait for the um, episode to catch up. She's picking up Yoda now, or Baby Oso, who is reaching out to her. Uh, it says child coos in the, uh, what is the subtitles? That was really loud for your big ears. Okay. So he opens his pocket. I think it's his wallet. He pulls out. Now he walks over and, uh, takes the baby and he's going to go pay her here. So I just want to see if it was money or shells. So, so I take it he didn't get paid. He goes, yeah, this kid had trust, uh, and he took all the money out in his ATM. 
Oh, yeah, it looks like it's various kinds of money. So then, yeah, Mandalorian and Yo Oso take off. Uh, and after they take off, we hear the space sound effects in the spurs. And then we just see a figure checking out Fennec Shand uh, in the desert uh, at night. We hear spurs, but I don't see the person had that. I don't see that they necessarily have spurs. Uh, I wonder if this is uh, Grief Cargus, because the person has boots and a, a cape on. We never see anything more than that. And the episode ends with uh, 10, uh, ends up with 10 paintings at the end, just like uh, the other episodes, except for the one where I was like, does it 9 or 10? So it must always end with 10. So that was the episode. Then let's see. Some of this, there's a lot that came up here. So let's start with, uh, let's start with Blackbird, the Beatles song. Because it looked like the spaceship was a Blackbird, uh, SR or whatever. Uh, Paul, written by Paul McCartney, credited to Lennon and McCartney. Although McCartney's the only Beatle who appears on the track, uh, he says the lyrics uh, were inspired by him hearing the call of a blackbird in India and also uh, the 60s uh, culturally in the United States. Uh, uh, let's see. It was inspired by Bach's. Uh, Bori and E minor, a well-known lute piece, uh, often played on the classical guitar. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, uh, he played it at home for his uh, future wife, uh, Linda. Finger-breaking technique was taught to him by the folk singer Donovan. Uh, it kind of it seems like it has uh, different meanings and contradictory statements about its inspiration and meaning, which I, I can understand. Uh, uh, legacy, uh, let's see, it was the number five of the White, like some people say it's the fifth best song on the White Album's 30 tracks, uh, uh, very popular, remade probably a lot of different times, uh, yeah, there's, and there's a whole Wikipedia article about it, uh, and it's, you know, it's a song a lot of people know. What about an actual Blackbird? Or the ship. Let's see. The Wikipedia says there's uh, there's a lot of groups uh, that could be considered blackbirds. Uh, there's Old World, uh, Chinese, a Common, Gray-winged, Indian, Somali thrush, uh, Tibetan, and white-collared. Oh, there's two groups. It says Old World blackbirds and New World blackbirds. Uh, so, and then there's a lot of stuff, uh, film, theater, TV. What about the um, places consuming? Oh, air, the SR-71 uh, was a long-range, high-altitude Mach 3 aircraft uh, made by Lockheed and Skunk Works. Uh, uh, Clarence Kelly Johnson was responsible for made many of the innovative concepts. Uh, Introduced in uh, 1966, retired in 1999, so I had a 33-year run. Uh, took over for the U-2. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so a little bit, you know, it was one of those things that flew butterfly in the sky, that could fly twice as high. But it did look a lot like the ship the person was flying, uh, at least to, to me. And, uh, and it was kind of supposed to be stealthy. 
So that, I don't know. That's a little bit about the black. Speaking of uh, flying, oh, we'll do that next. Oh, well, this is flying in space. This is from Khan Academy. You know, I Googled, is there momentum in space? Uh, and this came up. Uh, you know, momentum is a word we hear colloquially and in, colloquially and in everyday life. Uh, momentum is a measurement of mass and motion and how much mass uh, is in how much motion, usually given the symbol P. And, you know, link to this because uh, I don't have the exact... Uh, so there's impulse. Uh, this talks about a lot about calculating it. Momentum in space. So many people are familiar with astronauts in orbit. They appear to effortlessly push around objects. Uh, because uh, uh, astronauts and objects are both in free fall, they don't have to contend with gravity. However, uh, they still possess the same momentum they do on Earth. It can just be difficult to change the momentum. So uh, if. Uh, uh, I don't know. Then there's a mass problem that I'm not going to be able to. Uh, so, so I guess there is momentum in space. It's just a, uh, a harder to change the momentum. So I don't know what that means for keeping Baby Oso in Baby Oso's seat. Uh, that was my main thing. Movie Top Gun, I talked about in an episode not that long ago. It came out in 1986. Uh, I think there's a new one coming out at some point. Uh, oh, yeah, June 26, 2020. Uh, yeah, it has uh, Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, uh, Val Kilmer, Anthony Edwards, Tom Skerritt, uh, and many more. Uh, it is a popular movie. I mean, I talked about it in the episode, but it just had a little, uh, there was a little nod to it in this one. Now, I know a lot of these li- listeners are big uh, Stephen King fans, and a lot of them have read uh, this uh, The Dark Tower series. And I think the first book is called uh, The Gunslinger. So I looked that up on Wikipedia, and it says it's a fantasy novella by Stephen King. Originally published in 1982 in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Oh, no, in 78. Uh, Then it was collected with four other stories uh, uh, as The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger. Uh, then it became the first uh, chapter of the book and was revised uh, for the inclusion. And it also takes place in the desert uh, and has a raven. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, it's been a while since I read it, and a lot of listeners say you read the whole series. Uh, I know there was a movie that wasn't super successful, but that it really doesn't mean anything about the book. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe at some point I will commit myself to reading the whole uh the Dark Tower series. Uh, but yeah, so that's just a little bit about that. I'll link to that. Uh, how about the show Strangers with Candy? That's like a Amy Sedaris, uh, uh, an Amy Sedaris property. It was produced by Comedy Central in 1999 to 2000. Three seasons. Uh, considered a cult. When I, Considered one of the top uh, cult shows, a prequel is released in 2005. Uh, it tells the story of uh, Amy Sedaris's character, uh, Jerry, uh, returning to high school as a freshman at age 46 uh, at the Flat Point High School. And Amy had lived a very full life. Uh, it was a first envisioned uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, Paul Dinello, Mitch Rouse, uh, 
and Amy Sedaris uh, kind of based on some other stuff they saw in after-school specials and teen series and eventually worked it into this material. So uh, maybe something you've seen before. Uh, uh, let's see. It looks like maybe. I don't know if there's another movie in um, in development right now. Uh, but definitely something worth checking out. I mean, uh, you know, if you're unfamiliar with the real brilliant uh, work of Amy Sedaris, uh, I mean, kind of pretty much everywhere, TV, uh, stage, uh, voiceover, film, uh, Alpha in the holiday season. Uh, she's written a lot of stuff, uh, playwright, so... Uh, uh, Amy even had a, 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 according to Wikipedia, a cupcake and cheese ball business, uh, dusty food cupcakes. Uh, so I don't know. They just, just again, someone that I've always uh, admired and looked up to, and say, man, like, uh, I, I don't know. That's just someone that's, uh, it uh, really impresses me. You know, someone I haven't heard of in a while, but it, that's probably my fault. It's Bright Eyes, uh, Connor, or, 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 I can't say it, Connor, or, 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 Connor, or, or, I can't ever say it's the last name, uh, uh, but Bright Eyes was a band with Connor, uh, uh, who I think played everything. Maybe on tour they had other ones, uh, from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, this was like kind of like nineties uh, in indie rock. Uh, I guess I can't believe it's nineties indie rock. Uh, uh, I'm wide awake. It's morning. No, okay. So I guess that was in two thousand four. Uh, so I'm trying to just uh, think of like uh, what what is like uh, or what what's going on now. People's case. So still recording two thousand eight two thousand eleven. Uh, usually it's uh, Mike Mugus, uh, Connor, and then Nate Walcott. You know, kind of like a like a indie singer songwriter vibe. Uh, I guess is my memory. And uh, let's see what Connor's doing. What else? Like I'll click over there. Uh, uh, singer songwriter. Uh, yeah, bunch of other bands. Uh, currently, Better Oblivion Community Center. And uh, playing solo, so uh, Connor or 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 Orbs. I think the, it's O B E R S T, but I, I always think it's like it's not Obersts. I don't think, uh, but yeah, that's what Bright Eyes made me think of. Uh, then speaking of music, I think uh, actually Amy Sedaris told Baby Yoda now now. So I I said well, let me look that up. That's a song by. Uh, Radiohead, right? No, it's the They're There. And it's actually one of the songs I really like. It was on 2003's Hail to the Thief. Uh, it was also, uh, they performed an early version uh, during a webcast in 2000. Uh, before the album, uh, it's a rock song with layered percussion building to a loud climax. Uh, influenced by Sushi and the Banj- Van- Vanshees and Pixies. Uh, York said the song was supposed to be comforting. It's all right. You're just imagining it. Uh, so, yeah, they're there. The whole idea is saying, hey, I'm here to put you to sleep. They're there. Uh, so, and actually on the uh, single, it looks like there was a song there where bluebirds fly or something. 
Okay, another thing was Bobby Cannavale, but what really made me think of, like, it made me think of the movie The Station Agent, which is if if it's a movie, if you haven't seen this movie, you do yourself a favor and track it down. Uh, I got to see it in the theater. It's a 2003 uh, comedy drama. Tom McCarthy uh, wrote and directed it. Peter Dinklage is the star of the film. I mean, without a doubt, uh, it takes place in. It takes place when uh, Peter Dinklage's character, who kind of like is a bit like Scoots in real life, says, geez, I'd like to be alone and, uh, you know, just mind my own business. So he moves into a, an abandoned train station. He purchases it. And there's also like this uh, niche thing. I mean, this was before the Internet was super huge, but uh, uh, because he's like a train chaser, I think, uh, like or somebody likes to take videos of trains and share them on the Internet. I mean, I guess it was the Internet was the thing, but uh, Patricia Clarkson, Michelle Williams and Bobby Cannavale and John Slattery are also all in the movie. It only costs five. I mean, independent film, five hundred thousand to make. Uh, it uh, Finbar McBride is a character uh, uh, that Peter Dinklage uh, uh, plays. Uh, then he meets like it's just great. You just gotta see the movie. I guess I don't want to describe it anymore. But uh, Bobby Cannavale, there's a little bit of surrealism too, at least with Bobby Bobby Cannavale's character Joe. And I mean, it is like one of those movies that will make you uh, take you on multiple emotional journeys, uh, really make you feel. I mean, uh, really make you feel a lot. Uh, so, yeah, do yourself a favor. Uh, yeah, let's see what Robert Ebert always said. Oh, and Elvis Mitchell. Wow, two of my favorites. Uh, Elvis Mitchell said, Tom McCarthy has such an appreciation for quiet that it occupies the same space as a character in this film. A delicate, thoughtful, and awful, and often hilarious take on loneliness. It's the kind of appetizing movie you want to share with others. This is all from the Wikipedia page, by the way. And then Roger Roger Ebert said, uh, "This is a comedy, but it's also sad, and it's simply a story about trying to figure out what you love to do, and then trying to figure out how to do it. It's a great relief." Uh, the station agent is not one of those movies in which the problem is that the characters uh, have not slept with each other and the solution is that they do. It's more about the enormous unrealized fears and angers that throb beneath the surfaces of their lives. So definitely a movie worth checking out. You say, Scoots, I don't know who Bobby Cannavale is. I said, whoa, 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 really? And I will say that sometimes he is, like, too handsome and charming, and I do get jealous of him in certain uh, roles. And I say, I've had enough of you, Cannavale, uh, with, you know, with your jawline and your smile and your kind eyes. Uh, but he really is a delight, I mean, without a doubt, especially if you the station agent, I think, uh, uh, was a big breakthrough, in my opinion. Uh, but he's been on movies, uh, TV, uh, I mean, he's even in Marvel movies, so he's kind of everywhere. Uh, Mr. Robot, you know, I know, I mean, I'm a fan of that show, but, uh, not, I mean, probably a lot of listeners are. Uh, there's even some shows I haven't seen him in, which were famous, Will and Grace, uh, Nurse Jackie, Modern Family. He does, uh, voiceover work, uh. And a lot of other stuff. I mean, it just seems like an absolute wonder. And then it, it, it turns out his uh, son was in this episode.
Okay, next up is Chopper. This will finish up with uh, a Chopper is a style. Okay, so it's not, it is a motorcycle. I always am like, is it a motorcycle or not? It's a custom motorcycle that emerged in California in the 1950s. Uh, it's the most extreme of, uh, or perhaps the most extreme, according to Wikipedia, of custom styles. Uh, using radically modified steering angles and lengthened forks for a stretched out appearance. It can be built from an original motorcycle, which is then modified, chopped, or built up from scratch. Uh, they have long front ends with extended forks, uh, coupled with an increased rate angle, hardtail frames, frames without rear suspension, uh, or like different kinds of handlebars. And uh, there was like, uh, like in the movie Easy Rider, uh, Peter Fonda rode one. Uh, so it's a little bit about choppers. And then I actually have somebody that uh, wants to come on the show really fast. They haven't, literally haven't been on the podcast in like, uh, I think like five or six years. Probably six, it's been like six years. Hey, everybody. My name is Wendy Marstrap, and you may have never heard of me. I was on the podcast in its first year. And the scooter just never had me back. I think maybe had me back one time for a... Uh, uh, may the force be with you day. And then he kind of forgot about me, but that's fine because I have a best friend who's a do-back, Dewey the do-back, who's here with me, curled up at my feet. I'm patting Dewey's head right now. And the reason Scooter had me on w- was because I actually am, I am from the world of Star Wars and I am a big fan of, uh, I have a dream of be, having a travel show for Star Wars and telling people about all the great places they could go. And Scooters had even forgot about me. I mean, you know, he's busy with his show and everything. And then he said he, when he saw the Dewback, he thought of Dewey. And he forgot my name, he said, up until I said, he said, so how are you going to open the show? How are you going to introduce yourself? And I said, Scooter, did you forget my name? It's Wendy Marstrap, and this is Dewey, my do-back. And he said, well, I remember Dewey. And so I'm going to come on the program occasionally and tell you about places in Star Wars, because Scooter doesn't want to look anything up. Uh, and we'll probably be using, I'll be honest, I'll be in your world. Uh, you know, I, I travel by the fan fiction fantasy machine, so I could travel between worlds. Don't worry about that at all. Uh, so tonight I'm going to tell you about Corellia, and uh, yeah, we'll be using uh, the uh, Star Wars Wikia probably for a lot of this, and my own knowledge. Uh, now, Corellia is uh, one of the core worlds. It's a temperate climate, and that's what I wanted to tell you about first. Uh, come here uh, for a temperate climate, forests, uh, jungles, and cities. You're really going to like it, but if you love industry... And you now they they say there's a lot of these adventurers on like those at whatever that atlas global atlas or whatever that site is uh, that puts people's pictures up of them adventuring. I don't know what it's called, but it's something like that. Scooter said you could come to some of the abandoned uh, shipyards on Corellia, where uh, Tie fighters were built, star destroyers, and all sorts of ships. Now, our planet is also very diverse. You know, we have uh, our, our native uh, residents and fauna and flora, and then we have, uh, you know, stuff that's been introduced to planets over the history of the world.
It's actually not my planet. I'm from the planet in this episode. But anyway, not important at all. Now, the Corellian people were known for their wanderlust, but they were really a big part of uh, the original uh, Old Republic and, of course, uh, the Empire. And so some people might not remember us in the most, uh, remember them in the most uh, positive of ways. And you might say, what's our most uh, favorite, you know, what's the most famous resident of uh, Corellia? And everyone might argue, but I would say it's probably Han Solo. Uh, even though there's probably other, uh, you know, other famous uh, people that have been there. And so if you have a chance, you know, don't go on, don't go on star tours, you know, take a trip to Corellia. I mean, if it's possible, which it probably isn't for most of you, but you could picture, you could close your eyes now. And picture Dewey, my dewback, breathing calmly, just like any other dog would. The breath rising and falling. And maybe we're all resting somewhere on Corellia. Maybe it's in a nice uh, hotel overlooking the shipyards. Uh, Maybe we'll go on a tour there later. Maybe we'll go out to the forest. and relax and enjoy our time. Then we'll go on a historical tour. You know, there's a talk of having an artist district where we could be repurposing imperial uh, things. So it's exciting times here in Corellia. So come visit soon. I'm Wendy Marstrap. I'll talk to you soon. Good night.